Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Welcome to Teach Me Something New, a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Britain Co. I'm your host, Britt Morin. This show is about inspirational thinkers, scientists, artists, and CEOs, and the things they've learned that have transformed their lives. I'm tasking these world-class experts to teach me something new in less than an hour. Listen to Teach Me Something New on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Movie Crush, Friday interview edition in New York City. That's right, everybody. I had to come to New York for some meetings. And when I come to New York, as you all know, or I go to L.A., that's where the talent is. So I try to get a couple of folks in the studio. And uh, I uh, I had John Hodgman in again, everybody, my first repeat customer, uh, because, you know, John's my pal. I always like hanging with him talking about stuff, talking about movies. And uh, I was giving him a hard time because his favorite movie is The Third Man. And I want to, you know, I want to talk to him about it. So I was texting with him and saying, John, you know, can I got some time uh, in the afternoon in a studio. Do you want to come talk about The Third Man since you did uh, Marvel's The Avengers last time? And he said, I do have time and I would love to come and be a guest again. But the only thing I will talk about is uh, the Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> so I think we have a thing now going with Haji where uh, he will only talk about Avengers movies, which is great. That's fine with me. So we talked about um, a lot of stuff, including uh, a little bit more on horror movies because it was the day before Halloween when we recorded. And, um, you know, so we were in in the spirit and uh, we, we, we got around to Infinity War and his knowledge, as you know, of comic books is deep. Uh, much more than myself. So I always learn a lot from uh, from John when we talk about um, comic book-related stuff. And uh, we had a good time. Then we went out and had um, way too many martinis and some steak, and it was just a good night in New York City with my old pal. So here we go with John Hodgman on The Avengers Infinity War. Chuck. Yes. The Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Encyclopedia definition of Thanatos mm. is the ancient Greek personification of death, the son of Nyx, goddess of night, and brother to Hypnos, god of sleep. He appeared to humans to carry them off to the underworld when the time allotted to them by the fates had expired. Thanatos was once defeated by Heracles, who wrestled him to save the life of Alcestis, and he was tricked by Sisyphus, who wanted a second chance at life. Wow. This is Dictionary Talk with John and Chuck. I'm John. There's Chuck. Hi. That's not what we're talking about at all. We just happen to have a, 
a dictionary here. I know. It was here as if everyone doesn't have a phone. <laughs> well, my phone is charging outside. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, and, and I'm glad there is a dictionary here because, it, you know, every podcast needs a dictionary. Now, it's not right next to Thanatos, but directly opposite this definition in a hilarious way is a picture of Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> she also carries you off to sleep. <laughs> goddess of death. The Iron Lady. The Iron Lady. She isn't the goddess of death. And thanatology is the description or study of death and dying and the psychological mechanisms of dealing with them. This is the sound of a dictionary closing. <laughs> well, let's talk. That's my ruling. That is all. Yeah. Uh, how's it going? Good. My name is John Hodgman. Right off the bat, mm -hmm. what a pleasure it is to be here. Uh, I, uh, I, uh, I'm a friend of Chuck's and, mm -hmm. and this podcast. Yes. Only two-time guest. This is the second time. That's right. Yeah, this is it. Oh, I'm the only two-time guest. Yeah. Oh, thank you for inviting me back. Do you know why? Why? I had studio you, time. You ran had, out. I had no one else. You ran out of people? <laughs> you want to hear who I invited? Sure. Who else? Who Who were your first choices for this hour? <laughs> Holly Hunter. Oh, wait a minute. You're, you're, you're catching the phone. You got to put your phone on airplane mode, dude. Oh, sorry. Is that what that is? Yeah. How long, have you had a, how long have you had a podcast? It's on airplane mode. Yeah, that's why it stopped. Okay. Holly Hunter? Double H? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be great. She great said guest. No. She said no. Said no. All right. Tina Fey? Great guest. Great guest. No response. No, an R. Parker Posey? Wait, Holly Hunter just said, uh, uh, No. No, you know, that was one of the nicer no's I've gotten. Oh, that's nice. From, from her, from a, a representative. What do you think? Representative. Sure. Good. Tina Fey, no response. Mm-hmm. It's very busy. Parker Posey, her people said, out of town, written on iPhone. That's fine. Sure. That leaves the door open. Claire Danes. CD. She just had a baby. I thought she might, oh. want, to, thought she might want to get out. <laughs> She did. All right. Sudeikis. Well, I was really low on this list. <laughs> Sudeikis. Sudeikis. What did he say? I got no response. No. Oh. Uh, Naomi Watts. Jason. <laughs> you probably know all these people. I don't know Naomi Watts. How'd you know I was going to say her? Did I say it? You already said it. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, man. What do you think? I'm some kind of mentalist? <laughs> That's a pretty good guess. I'm distracting you over here while you say things. You forget that you say them. And then I said, oh, you're about to say, uh, hang on, hang on. It's coming to me. I see an end up. Naomi Watts? Is that what you're thinking of? Uh, I, don't, I don't think I heard from her people. Sarah Jessica Parker. SJP. Got nothing. Mm -hmm. Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, yeah. I got a very nice response from I bet their you people. Did. Uh, they said that he is not available at this time, but I'll pass this around the office and see if anyone else is uh as a client. Oh. And then I heard then I think even someone from their office might come by. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Hi. Um, I was just replacing the water cooler, and <laughs> I heard you were doing a podcast, and I like movies, so. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, wait. I said that. Greta Gerwig. <laughs> Greta Gerwig, GG. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to get her in here. Sure. Sounds She's, weird. She's uh, prepping for a movie. Okay. Uh, Billy Joel. Why not, right? Mm, I could think of some reasons. <laughs> Are you a big Billy Joel fan, Chuck? Tremendous. Yeah. So that would be very meaningful to you to sit across from Billy Joel and oh, yeah. discover that he's 
terrible company and <laughs> awful person. <laughs> Instead of just going to see one of his concerts and enjoying his wonderful yeah. music. And I, I'm, an, I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of Billy Joel's music. Right. I am. I have, I'm cynical about his, his tood. Really? I don't think he's, he doesn't strike me as a fun guy to hang around. Huh, okay. But I, you know what? Billy Joel, if you're listening. This is Joel talk. <laughs> remember, it's it's Chuck's podcast, not mine. Don't blame him for my... Uh, and then Katie Holmes. Katie Holmes, yeah. Uh, and then your buddy, Gene Gray. Have, we've been back and forth a lot with Gene. Have you not done, Have you not recorded with Gene? No, her, her cat was sick last time I was in New York, <laughs> and she had to cancel. It was an accident or something. Oh, uh, that darn cat. And, uh, That's the movie we're here to discuss. <laughs> that darn cat. That darn cat. And she then, should be obsessed, because she talks about how that, that cat, Littles, uh-huh. Adorable cat. Yeah. But re- really puts the truth to everyone's suspicion that their cats are sabotaging them at all times. Uh, yeah. A lot of trouble. Very, very strategic illnesses. <laughs> very purposeful shedding. Right. <laughs> a lot of property destruction. Uh-huh. Cats, you know. Sure. I'm, I'm very lucky. We have a new cat. Oh, you do? We adopted a, a Maine Coon cat. Oh, that, that's what I had. And uh, and she is the dumbest and fattest cat of all time. That's the best. What's her name? Lolo. Okay. Uh, there's a long reason for it. It doesn't matter. Sure. I just learned that's uh, what uh, people call their granddads in the Philippines. Lolo? Lolo. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Or Lola if it's grand, grandma. Right. But she is a, she's a, I, I've discussed this on my podcast, the Judge John Hodgman podcast before. It's such a pleasure to spend time with a cat that is so obviously dumb. Yeah, because okay. they usually yeah. they usually convey a lot of intelligence mm-hmm. and and slyness, mm-hmm. and you kind of feel like they're they're up to something. They're plan they're planning your yeah. demise. But Lolo is so dumb and it's so fun to because she doesn't understand English and it's just hey just look at her and go hey you dumb dumb. What does she speak Filipino? <laughs> no, <laughs> speak cat and sing the Miamix uh, theme song to her all day long. She'll understand that. Yeah, Maine Coon. You know Gorley. Uh, he's a Maine Coon guy. Matt Gorley. Yeah. Uh, another podcasting legend. Yeah, I've had him. We we did a James Bond special together. Of course, he loves James Bond movies. <laughs> exactly what I had him. He has in. a podcast about it. Uh-huh. James Bonding, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he has a couple of good ones. Let me tell you about my podcast, okay? <laughs> oh, I'm going to plug in that one. So my name is John Hodgman, by way of introduction. I have a podcast called Judge John Hodgman that keeps me very busy. Yeah. I'm the author of a book called Vacation Land, mm-hmm. uh, which as of this uh, moment is one of three finalists for the Thurber Prize for American yeah, Humor. That's uh, great. I will find out on December 5th. I don't know when this will be released. Uh, soon. Well, I will find out on December 5th that I did not win. My son is applying to high schools, public high school here in New York City. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very busy time for me, Chuck. Very busy. I don't have the time. Applying to public high school. That's how you have to do it? It's a messed up system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can apply. Any, any kid in eighth grade can apply to any high school in the city. Oh, wow. Any public high school, uh-huh. right, obviously. I mean, you can also apply to any private high school, but this is the public high school system. Right. Is total school choice. Different schools have different concentrations, different academic requirements. Hmm. Some of them require an audition, like LaGuardia School for Performing Arts, the fame school. Sure. Audition. Mm-hmm. Some of them require a specialized test or whatever. But it's it's... The, ben- the benefit of, of choice and personalization of educational experience mm-hmm. uh, is counterbalanced rather heavily with the uh, annoyance and anxiety of essentially doing a college search yeah. when you're 13. So what happens if he gets into some school on the upper 
west side and you have to go from Brooklyn every day. The, he will go there. Yeah. What, what, you think we're going to get him an apartment up there? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll got... say goodbye to him forever. <laughs> I don't know. You, I know it's up to him. He'll, to I was, yeah, he's going to have to fare for himself. Get a little studio. Uh-huh. <laughs> you take, you know, kids, you know, my wife teaches high school at Stuyvesant High School, which is a public high school. Mm-hmm. And kids come from all over the city. Like, well, some of them will have a hour and a half commute. Wow. Both ways. Like they way, live way out in Brooklyn. Or and her school's out. one of the kind of legendary schools, isn't it? No, no, it's real. It's not a legend. It's real. It's a real place. <laughs> I know a lot of people think it's yeah. like, you know, uh-huh. oh, that's that uh, school for witchcraft and wizardry <laughs> near Battery Park. Nope. So just a regular high school, real school. But it's, it's a very... Like people true. meet you guys and they're like, hey, Catherine's been pretending to teach high school for the past <laughs> 25 years. Yeah. Keep the legend going. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's... Um, it's um, one of the schools you have to take a test to get into, so it tends right. to be. And Frank McCourt, author of Angela's Ashes, taught there for many years. So oh, it, has, cool. it has a certain cultural currency beyond New York City. Is he going to apply there? Any interest? No. Yeah. Would you want to go to high school with your mom as a teacher there? Dude, my dad was my elementary school principal. Really? Yeah. I must have for known that. seven years. Oh, wow. Yeah, maybe you did. I don't know. Was that fun or not fun? Uh, Sure. It was fine. It was cool having uh, having my dad around. Right. And he was beloved. Uh huh. And, you know, you could always, I'm, I'm sure when the bullies, when the bullied. bullies came up to you, you said, get out of here, guys. My dad's <laughs> the principal. No, I was too busy being desperate to be liked to be bullied. Nicholas McCarthy was, uh, is a friend of mine. And we went to high school together. Mm-hmm. And we started uh, a zine uh, called Sami's Dot which was a a term for Russian dissident literature that was circulated in manuscript during the era of the Soviet Union. How old were you when you did this? Specifically, the Stalin Stalin era. Uh I was a a senior in high school, very pretentious senior in high school. Brookline High School, Brookline, Massachusetts. And and Sami's dot was how dissident literature was, you know, uh, circulated Mm hand-to-hand among dissident poets and writers. At, At... a risk to their life at any moment they could be taken away by Stalin for and and put into a death camp. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We were we were publishing movie reviews. Yeah. <laughs> Dumb cartoons, really pretentious short stories on my part. Yeah. But we were like we were a zine and we were punk rock and we're like, how are we gonna get this out there? And we, we realized that Nick's dad is was the principal of the high school. Ah. And he was like, you can use the high school office super Xerox machine. Uh-huh. And so that's awesome. We used the state to destroy the state. <laughs> yeah, that's how we. That's how we <laughs> framed it. Yeah, and we were cowards. We didn't want to. We didn't want to edit any. We didn't want to tell. We didn't want to. Re- I didn't want to reject anything. Mm-hmm. So our submission policy, or editorial policy, is we will publish everything that we get. Right. We'll just choose when we put it in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which meant the worst stuff. We would just like maybe another issue. We'll, right. We'll, we'll, we're holding on to that. But we published some pretty racy stuff because we're teenagers, mm-hmm. you know, some some adult content gotten, and got, uh, other, and we got in trouble. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and we had to, oh, so we <laughs> we published some stuff that was a little bit, some cartoons that were a little pr- provocative sexually. Mm-hmm. And parents didn't like it. And there was a big Supreme Court case around that time, late 80s, around editorial independence of high school newspapers. I totally remember that because I worked for my high school newspaper. Right. And so, uh, and you'll recall, I believe the ruling was that high school newspapers do not have a yeah. a right to full freedom of speech. It's very disappointing. 
And suddenly in the in the Boston area, uh, we were a hot topic because, yeah. you know, news peg meat, um, weird dudes with a zine mm-hmm. and women. We had, we had women on the editorial board as well as a bunch of us. And we got called in to a to go on a local teen issues program mm-hmm. to debate uh, our side, which mm-hmm. is now, unfortunately, I realize it's also the side of that creepy alt-right alternate Twitter called Gab, oh, which is like, everything is fair game. Right. You know, like, <laughs> but we, to, in our defense, we were dumb teenagers at the time. Right. We are not grown creepy men. Sure. But we were, we, we came in, and it was Nick and Josh Sato and Michael, uh, Dan Roush and I, and uh, I'm not sure if Valerie was there, but anyway, a bunch of us from the Sami's Dot quote-unquote staff <laughs> came in to debate members of the staff of our official school newspaper, the Sagamore, right. including Christine Connor, who is still a dear friend, uh-huh. and Catherine Fletcher, who is now my wife, because we went to high school together. Yeah. They, they were on the opposite side of the issue. Oh, that's funny. And then some kids from another school, and we, never, we didn't even talk to them. Right. You know, they were there in that room. And the thing was, and the, t- the show was called Wraparound. Uh-huh. <laughs> 1988, 89, teen issues, local teen issues. And yeah. the host was local television host and personality, Tom Bergeron. What? Yeah. Wow. Now the host of Dancing with the Stars. Crazy. Yeah. You know what's something funny? Is the newspaper, the, the local news came to my high school mm-hmm. and interviewed us for television about that same issue. Oh, really? Yeah. And I think it was 88. I think we were juniors. Do you still have that footage? No. Somewhere? The wraparound footage apparently just resurfaced. Oh, really? Someone found a VHS cassette somewhere. Oh, God, I would love to see that. No. Uh, I was wearing a bolo tie. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was in a heavy David Byrne True Stories period. You want to hear something funny? I, I had a bolo tie. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah. But Nicholas McCarthy, <clears throat> I mentioned this. I was starting uh, uh, one thing, and then we got derailed, and that's how this is going to go. Mm-hmm. But Nicholas McCarthy w- would host uh, all-night movie festivals at his house. Okay. Specifically horror and cheesy horror mm-hmm. and bad movies and weird movies and bootleg movies and yeah. stuff. So that's that's where I first saw The Evil Dead. Yeah, he was Harry Knowles. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> but, this, but this was at Nick's house. Yeah. And a bunch of a bunch of us dudes, of course, it was all dudes. Yeah. Would go over and I that's where I first saw The Evil Dead. That's what got introduced to Bruce Campbell. Mm-hmm. He introduced me to Cronenberg. I think I saw Videodrome there and maybe um maybe I saw The Brood there. Probably David Lynch too, huh? I would know. David, I was pretentious enough to be into David Lynch already. Okay. I, you know what I mean? Because, da- <laughs> yeah. you know, like I, I was being into Dune. I was being into Eraserhead. That was art movie stuff. Yeah. More than it was Grindhouse, you know, mm-hmm. horror, horror, horror. Yeah. And it was Nick's dream to be a horror movie director. And for a number of years, that dream went sideways as he struggled with this and that. Until he changed his name to Eli Roth. No, but no, he he's the same name. <laughs> Eli Roth was from Newton, Massachusetts, oh, and, yeah. and is a little bit younger than we are, but we, I never knew him there. Yeah. So, you know, Nick, Nick's life kind of went sideways for a while, but mm-hmm. then he kind of resettled himself, started making short movies, and now he's a, a he's got a movie about to come out. Really? Yeah. What uh, movie? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> is it horror? Yeah. He's a horror movie director now. And has he already, is this his first film coming? Put, take your, th- no, this is his third feature film. Uh-huh. Well, I can't look anything up on my airplane. Take it off for a second so we can look it up. <laughs> okay, hold on a second. 
Uh, what's his name? Nicholas McCarthy. Is it, I want to say prodigy. Man, you hear that? Yeah, I totally do. Nicholas McCarthy, director, American film director, based in Los Angeles. Lifelong lover of film. That checks out. I'm not lying. McCarthy struggled for the first decades of career. That checks out. Receiving his first break into the motion picture industry at the Just, age of 40. What's the most recent one? All right. 2012 was The Pack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, 2014, At the Devil's Door. Yeah. It's about to come out. Just hold on. Scroll faster. I'm scrolling. It doesn't say holidays. No? No. For the record, everyone, John just snatched my iPhone. Well, you're going to... You can't have this on there. Yeah. This all goes out. (laughs) The laziest podcast I've ever been a part of. The Prodigy. I was right. The Prodigy. Oh, okay. Comes out 2019 starring Taylor Schilling. You just shot it up in Toronto. And while we're here, Uh might as well find out Thurber (laughs) (laughs) Award finalists. Thurber, a very prestigious award. But so Nick, yeah, Nick kind of, you know, it it was very interesting because around the time that my career was taking this weird turn into what I, the many things I do now, Mm -hmm. Nick was also starting a new life as a a director of horror movies, which he had always wanted to do. And he directed a movie, uh, he he did a short called The Pact that got picked up to be a feature Mm -hmm. starring Katie Lotz. And it's a really fun, scary movie Mm -hmm. that everyone should know, The Pact. And then At the Devil's Door, which is also great. And now he's got this new one uh, that he just filmed, filming in Toronto called um, Prodigy, mm-hmm. starring Taylor Schilling from uh, Orange is the New Black. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, and you should have him on the show. He's, he would really be great. He's a really fun guy to talk to. Where is he movies. based? Uh, Los Angeles? Los Angeles. But he gets around. He comes this way and that. You should have him on the show sometime. I will. He's not available. Sorry. What's your... Out of town. <laughs> out of town. Good for my out of, out of town. <laughs> What uh? What's your deal with horror movies? Because we've been we've done a couple of specials this month, and I'm not a, I'm not an aficionado by any means, but I like a good horror movie now every now and then. Emily doesn't watch them though, so it's hard mm-hmm. to you know I got to squeeze them in. I uh I like them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there was a time I I I ever since I watched with Nick McCarthy, I like I liked them and appreciated them. I think Evil Dead Two is an incredibly weird. Yeah, loved it. Exciting movie mm-hmm. <clears throat> that, I mean, it's a, a cliche at this point to point out that, you know, Raimi understood mm-hmm. that, you know, horror and comedy are the same. Yeah. You know, they're they're working to produce a same, a, a very similar, specific, audible and, and mysterious reaction mm-hmm. that no one really knows why it happens or, or why you laugh or why you scream. Right. You know what I mean? Like their guesses. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's an irrational response to that you think you can predict and and sometimes you are able to figure it out but sometimes you mm-hmm. just can't predict why someone would get scared yeah. you know what i mean do you go deep do i go deep yeah with horror what does that mean well like you know are you one of those it's like oh no only the 60s italian horror is oh, is mean, worthwhile the the giallo films of <laughs> dario argento yeah i've never seen any giallo films of dario argento i'm the kind of guy who likes to know what the stuff is, uh-huh. but I won't, I won't, I can't anymore sit down and watch right. my way through a work of, a body of work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. And I, I don't like gore. Um, I would say that, you know, one of my favorite movies, and it's, and it's highly problematic because it's directed by a, a monster, is uh, Rosemary's Baby. 
Yes. Uh, by Roman Polanski. We covered um, Chinatown in here. Well, you got, I mean, there certain, You can't ignore stuff like that you, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, the, the beauty of being <clears throat> trained in literary theory at Yale University, uh, <laughs> an accredited, accredited four-year four year. <laughs> college in Southern Connecticut, <laughs> is that you're trained to disregard the biography of the creator because the work becomes its own thing and makes connections in your mind that the creator had no intention for. Yeah, and most creators are monsters. No, that's not true. No, back in the day they were. Oh, well, I think that there was definitely a culture of exploitation of young women and men yeah. in Hollywood in the... Like, from the dawn of Hollywood till last October. Well, and, <laughs> <laughs> and now it is slightly frowned upon. <laughs> That's true. Momentarily slightly frowned upon. That's true. But, you know, it, it goes to the same thing. Now we're going tangents upon tangents, but, you know, all the discussion around Brett Kavanaugh mm. and, you know, all these sanctimonious the old man going, I sure, if we start judging people on who they were when they were 17 and the mistakes they made before 17, no one would be here. It's like, no, that's not true. Yeah, yeah. no. I mean, when I heard that, maybe, I was like. Maybe a lot of better people will be here. Yeah, you know? I was like, I got no dirt. I was yeah. like, go back to what I was doing in high school. It's just embarrassing. Yeah, like, you're going <laughs> to call me out for, for, for watching The Evil Dead yeah. at Nick McCarthy's house at 2 a.m. Yeah. With a bunch of dudes, for sure. Yeah. And, and you know, th- th- I, that's not to say I'm I'm blameless or I'm great. Mm-hmm. It's simply to say there there's there may have been stuff that I did and I accept that there may have been stuff that I did that made other people uncomfortable or unhappy that I'm completely unaware of and I'm happy to hear that and make amends if I can if that's true. Yeah. Know? But I made a lot of choices to not be bad. Mm-hmm. And not not just not be break the rules but not be a to be a good person, you know? Yeah. And I feel like when you suggest that it is automatic that 17-year-old Boys in in particular yeah, are going to monstrously abuse people around them, mm-hmm. and that they shouldn't be judged for that because they get another try. When like, first of all, that only applies to white boys. Yeah, and second of all, that's such a disservice to the people who make the right choices. Yeah. So when you say all artists are monsters, that's not true. No, I know. You know what I mean? I mean, and Roman Polanski is a particular, particularly bad monster. Sure. But I wasn't trying to let him off the hook. No, no, you were trying to put everyone on the hook. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was more thinking of, of of writers and like. By the way, everyone, we're recording this just before Halloween in a incredibly cold meat storage locker, <laughs> and uh, there are bodies on hooks. <laughs> they make a nice sound buffer, though. Yeah, so they're they're baffles. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's interesting. No, no, Chuck's just been putting bodies on hooks all afternoon of directors who don't <laughs> make the cut. <laughs> uh, I just saw the new Halloween movie. I've not seen it. Yeah, I saw it in Phoenix. People like it? Um, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? People don't say yeah about that movie. They say yeah about that movie. No, it was, it was good. It was cool. Like, I don't know. Uh, I, I went, I watched the uh, Ridge two nights later, mm-hmm. and um, I like that stuff. I like all yeah. kinds of horror movies. I like those kind of dumb slash movies. Are, they're fun. And, you know, the the the... Obviously, when John Carpenter made the original Halloween, mm-hmm. there were definitely predecessors of of that kind of, you know, the, the lone masked or deranged weirdo with a knife. Yeah, that you know, doesn't speak and walk slow. It wasn't unprecedented, mm-hmm. but it was, it was still, it was not the cliche. There had not been eight Halloweens before that Halloween. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
The Brood is one of my very favorite scary movies. Haven't seen it. Oh, yeah. Good shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Brood is... What era? 70s, late 70s, David Cronenberg. Oh. Very Canadian. Uh, still, He was still working in Canada at the time. I, it was... I, there are a couple of his early horror movies that I have not seen, like Shivers. It's supposed to be great. Mm-hmm. But this one is a guy, uh, a, a divorced single parent. Mom is out of the picture somewhere for some reason. Uh, and his little daughter start being menaced by these little children monsters. <laughs> are they more human or are they just... They look like little kids okay. in, in pink and blue little parkas. <laughs> and the little girl is just on her little swing waiting for her dad to pick her up at Canada School. Right. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there are like three or four of these little... And they're all shot from a distance, and you kind of just see them from behind for uh-huh. a while. There's a reveal. There are reveals within reveals of what's going on. Mm-hmm. But it's one of the most terrifying things I can think of, just yeah. like being alone and then seeing these three or four uncanny little children yeah. menacing you. And then they come and they walk her away. Do you, get, do you still get spooked out by horror movies? Uh, I got spooked out by my radiator this morning. <laughs> <laughs> what did it say? <laughs> Well, just, you know, it was coming on because it's starting to get a little chilly here in New York City. Yeah. And the heat was coming on in the building. And the heat was coming on in the building and, and you know, it's a ga- it's gas heat. So, mm-hmm. you know, you get little bubbles in the line. And it goes boom, boom, uh-huh. boom. And I know the footsteps of most of the creatures in my home, mm-hmm. uh, including this dumb cat that wanders around dumbly all night long. <laughs> I love that you got a new cat. Normally, I know that the cat is the cat because the cat is just going, talking to the air. And that's a horror movie trope in itself, having a cat jumping out. Right. But, you know, you've seen them. You, Maine Coon cats are huge. Yeah. <laughs> They're not that scary kind of cat. They're like dumb dogs. Yeah. They talk all the time. Like, there's nothing spooky. There's a, a spooky about a cat going like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then that's it. There's nothing spooky about a cat going like, yeah, uh, my Maine Coon was very chatty. Is that a... Uh, yeah. Is that a trait? They're notoriously social oh, and, I love it. and vocal. Yeah. I talk all the time. That's what Laurent was doing uh, for 15 years. Laurent? Mm-hmm. Named for? Nobody. I like it. Yeah. Spelled? <laughs> uh, L-A-big-R-O-N. Laurent. <laughs> I like Big that. L, little A, big R, little O. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, he's gone. But yeah, this is more, so, you know, uh, the the... Radiator. The radiator started making this noise, like. I didn't know what it was for a second. I got scared. Mm-hmm. Like, am I going to have to get out of this bed and look around? Was it still dark? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's dark all the time now. It's yeah. October. Pure darkness. I had, uh, after I watched the Ridge Halloween the other night, because I was, I was out west, and so I was still, I was staying up late. And Emily's asleep. I'm watching Halloween. Haven't seen that one in a long time, the original. Mm-hmm. I just watched it, too. We are renting a house. We're renovating our house in Atlanta. Oh. So we had to completely move out uh, of our home, and we're renting a house for, like, two weeks now. And this house is in the woods. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. It's a lot of glass. Yeah. And I went down to let my dogs out at the end of the night (laughs) and legit jumped out of my skin when the door went to shut and I saw my own reflection out of the corner of my eye move. Sure. 
And then I looked and jumped and then laughed and then thought, no, that's when you get murdered is when you go, oh, it's oh, just me. Just me. <laughs> and then I turned around again like a dummy, like, yeah, is there anyone there? Nobody was there. It's, Michael you, Myers was not in my home. No, but, you know, things happen. I know. You know, we're that's, on the we're on the ground floor. Yeah. And that's, I'm, on, I'm on the constant. <laughs> you know, when you when you have kids, as you know, yeah, you you go on a high alert for the rest of your life mm-hmm. to things going wrong. Yeah. And first floor, I'm always on alert to a stranger's type of situation. Mm-hmm. That's one of my very favorite horror movies. The, the Strangers. Yeah. Yeah. Those, that's the shit that scared me as a child was uh, someone coming into my home, not ghosts or monsters, but right. like a human being that could really do me harm. And, and what that guy did, and I don't remember the name of that director, but one of the things that he did, he whether this was inspired by or just simultaneous discovery, but it was a thing that they also did, I think, in Friday the 13th Part 2, which I've never seen in any other movie of that kind, that kind of like mm-hmm. slasher being pursued by someone, which is a moment where you get to see the killer, mm-hmm. or in this case, one of the killers in The Strangers, one of the home invaders, from the point of view of a character when the when the killer doesn't realize they're being observed. I don't remember what what, what happened. So in the, in the Strangers, Liv Tyler mm-hmm. runs into, just in the nick of time, runs into the, um, so if you haven't seen the movie, everybody out there listening, go see it, it's good. Mm-hmm. Is about Scott Speedman and Liv Tyler uh, in, a, in a remote house. Yeah, home invasion. Well, yeah, but first people just start ringing the doorbell and right. being weird. It's yeah. just it's an in, in a, a, an escalating series of testings of the boundaries of the home mm-hmm. until finally they get in. And Liv Tyler uh, goes and hides in a kitchen closet and can see through the slats of the door. The horror movie slats. The horror movie slats. Yeah. All doors in horror <laughs> movies are slatted. Yep. And the one of the their three home invaders, and they all wear creepy masks. Mm-hmm. And there are two women and, and one kind of lumbering dude. And the lumbering dude comes in and looks around, and we're seeing it from her point of view. And he can't, he doesn't know that he's being observed. Mm-hmm. And he looks around, and then he just takes a deep breath because he lost her. And he just sits down at the kitchen table for a second and kind of goes, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember that now. You can just like the it's this weird moment where like yeah. this is taking a toll on them too. Uh-huh. Like they didn't, and it, it was just it just it was so scare so much scarier. Interesting to appreciate this this invader as a human. Was that know? the purpose of that? I I don't I don't know. Yeah, I mean, when you're trained in literary theory, Yale University and accredited for your college in Southern Connecticut. <laughs> You're not trained to look for what the authorial intention might have been because that disappears at the moment that it is released into the world, but rather what the textual effect is. Sure. And in this case, it does a weird job of humanizing what is normally a, a dehumanized right. uh, 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 figure in the film. Like uh, Michael Myers is a yeah. machine, you know what I mean? And to see the killer as vulnerable was not encouraging in the movie like it does not make you feel like oh she can beat him right it's like oh no that's a human being and this is this everyone's tired now yeah and it's gonna end badly but i don't think it would they did the same thing in friday the 13th part two the one jason do that no some one of the one of the many sexy teens who are being punished (laughs) for having sex by the movie yeah (laughs) uh get into a position where they can see 
Jason as he's looking around and thinks that he's lost her. And Jason, obviously, in the in the movie, this it could it had it couldn't have been part two for reasons, but it was definitely Jason. Okay, and and Jason was a was a monster, like a true horror movie monster, not mm-hmm. a human being. You know what I mean, like a a creature. No, he was a dude. He was a, a undead. Was he? Yeah. I don't remember. He was uh, in the first one. It was the mom, though, right? Well, nice job, Chuck. Well, come on. That's right. In the first one, it was the mom, and then there was the second one. It was Jason, but it was before the how the hockey mask. Oh, and the third okay. one was uh, 3D plus hockey mask. That I was the introduction 3D. of the hockey mask. Was it? I'm sure yeah. we've gotten some of this wrong. No, no. I've got it right. <laughs> I got a dictionary right here. Yeah. I looked it up. Well, that's true. So, right. The first one, since you revealed it, the, the first one is his mom, Jason's mom. Mm-hmm. And the second one is Jason come back to life. Mm-hmm. And he's a monster, but he is conf- he's confused. And it's just so disorienting to... It, particularly in those movies where the point of view is either the killer's point of view mm-hmm. in the chase scene mm-hmm. or this uh, omniscient third person yeah. where you just see someone get, having a thing poked through their brains or whatever. Right. And I watched all, I had never seen those movies when they came out. Yeah, I didn't really either. I was a little young uh-huh. and and they also did not, didn't carry the kind of weirdo psychotronic cachet that a Evil Dead did, so right. we would never have watched it at Nick's house. Yeah. But I worked at a video store when I was in college, mm-hmm. uh, the one I mentioned earlier, college, university, actually. <laughs> well, it's a world-class institution, I would say, <laughs> arguably. Um, and I worked in the video store, and I spent the summer of 1993 taking a writing, a summer writing class at the college, mm-hmm. and then work in the video store, and just, and have in an apartment, and just, I was like, I'm going to watch, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to watch all the Friday the 13th movies. Yeah. Night after night, I would take one or two home and watch one or two of them. Yeah. And it was hot in the summer in New Haven. Uh And I only mention this because there was this weird architectural detail of this old apartment building where we didn't have air conditioning, but I had a front door of the apartment. And then in front of the front door, a door of slats, horror movie slats. Oh, wow. That you could, so you could open the front door and have air circulation come through the apartment. Right. This was a terrible, like, I remember... It's like a screen door, but there were slats. Yeah, there was there were slats and a tiny little, you know, like a privacy lock. Right. That a, that a Jason could get through in a sec. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and that was... And I had been sleeping this way, you know, and there had been an intruder in the building. Oh, the, wow. Like, the, the week I moved in, there was a guy trying to stab people with a syringe. Really? Yeah. But I'm 18, 19, 20 years old, whatever it was, 22. Yeah. 1993, 22. You're like, glad that was last week. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to get some air circulation. Time for some air circulation. And I have to credit watching, I think, Friday the 13th Part 3. And I'm kind of looking at the movie from my, my you know, the studio apartment. I'm looking at the movie from my bed. And then looking at the doorway and looking at the movie and looking at the light coming through the doorway, mm-hmm. making weird yellow lines on the floor. I'm like, this is a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> I have to close and lock the door. <laughs> but that means I have to go to the door. Yeah. And I saw a reflection of you for some reason in the door. I'm like, what? That's weird. Oh, I was like, oh, it's just Chuck. And then you killed me. Yeah, I'm going to know that guy in 20 years. So, Chuck, I'm very busy is the point. Mm-hmm. I got, I'm writing a new book. Is my, that where we started? Yeah. Okay. I've got my podcast, Judge John Hodgman. Well, what's the book? A Vacation Land sequel? It's, or, or it's basically Vacation Land 2. More Musings? More. Do you think that's the title of my book, More Musings? 
Why not? It's covering, so Vacation Land was true funny stories and essays Mm -hmm. um, that I I had been working out on stage and had been performing on stage. Mm -hmm. And then these are more of those. But while Vacation Land sort of covered uh, uh, my my time in isolation in Maine, Mm -hmm. the horror movie capital of the world, this is more my work stories from this period. It's a weird acting, mm-hmm. the 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 surreal world of being in L.A. during that time. Nice, and the and the the dissolution of fame, and the replacing of fame with uh, Delta Diamond medallion <laughs> status points. <laughs> <clears throat> but that's another that's another story that you'll have to wait to hear because yeah, I'm not wait. Work, what am I not doing right now? I'm not writing it. Why? Why am I not working on it? Because Chuck called me up and said, "You want to come on the podcast?" I'm like, "Yeah, I do." Why? I like you too. I don't want to work on the book right now. Yeah, you've been writing a lot lately. Right? Three, yeah, three. The last time we spoke, you were like, "Do you want to talk about the Third Man?" <laughs> Supposedly your favorite movie that you talk about all the time on your podcast. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I don't want to talk. Why don't I want to talk about The Third Man? Uh-huh. I want to talk about a movie. What is a movie that I will watch at any moment? Right. And I realized it was Marvel's The Avengers. Uh-huh. And so you said, you called me up and you said, you want to talk about The Third Man this time? I'm like, no, I want to talk about Avengers Infinity War. No, I think you said I will only talk about Infinity War. And yet you tricked me into talking about other movies. No, uh, we can talk about everything. I have no, I didn't even get to watch Infinity Wars for the third time right before this like I usually do. Now it's called Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> what did you say? Infinity, Infinity Wars? Wars? <laughs> did you like did you see one of those knockoffs? One of those mockbusters? I just bought it in Times Square. Yeah, right. Is that not it? What is that company? I think it's the Asylum that just makes like they'll take a, a dumb hit B movie like Sharknado. Uh-huh. And then they'll turn it into like uh Elacane or something like they'll just do a oh, complete rip off. I haven't heard of this. And it's a company called the Asylum, and they do what what are called mockbusters. <laughs> so in, you know when Transformers, you know, was was a thing. Yeah, they they would make a really cheap version of Transformers and call it like Car Changers. Right? <laughs> Who gets these? They just sell them to like foreign tourists. I I don't know. I don't know what their market is. Huh. I don't know. But this has been going on. For, I mean, forever. You work. Did you ever work in a video store? Yeah. So you remember looking at all these titles, these direct-to-video and even not-so-direct-to-video titles. I'm like, who is who is this? Who is Kickboxer 5-4? I don't think we had a lot of that stuff. It was it was a pretty... But I would I thought yours in, at Yale would be the same, though. I mean, mine was a pretty, like, highbrow, artsy-fartsy video store. Tell me about store. your store. Vision Video. It was, you know, for the movie lovers in town. Michael Stipe went in there. That kind of thing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's how ever, we roll in Athens. Did you ever write, did you, what did you rent to Michael Stipe? Uh, I never rented anything to him. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but he did. We had uh, a Flickr Film Festival, which was like a monthly local film exhibition for local filmmakers. Flickr films on a screen. And he would go to Flickr and I went to Flickr and he tried to buy the Flickr shirt off my back because I got the last one. Oh. I bought it and put it on, and he came up and he mumbled at me that he wanted to buy that from me. And did you sell it to him? No, I didn't. Oh, wow. And I felt bad, but that's wrong to feel bad. At some point, you're going to be in a room with Michael Stipe again. I've tried to get him on here. Yeah, well, you know why he's not coming on. Because I, I didn't sell him a shirt. Well, one, you're murdering people. <laughs> 
and hanging them on hooks. Sure. And two, he's like, oh, that dude. Yeah. He totally took that last shirt and didn't sell it to me, Michael Stipe. Yeah. He wouldn't. Uh, although one night, uh, what was he gonna? Up, what was he offering in exchange? Some vegan bacon or something? No, it was it was money. <laughs> <laughs> it was cash. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Here's the thing: saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball, because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock. He constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Hey, it's Ben, Henry, and Marcus, hosts of The Last Podcast on the Left. Our show's dedicated to uncovering hilariously horrifying stuff. And now we're only on Spotify. Join us. If you want. Obviously, we'd never force anyone to just blindly join us. That'd be crazy. But if you like stories about doomsday cults who do exactly that and more, please join us on Spotify. Visit Spotify.com slash last podcast to listen free. We don't have to talk about Infinity Wars, though. Well, I'm not going to talk about Infinity Wars at all. What's your aversion to Third Man? That's your favorite movie. It's not. It's not. I have no aversion to it. Is it's, it not to be talked about? No, no, no. It's just. Um, it's just, you know, you, t- time and tastes change and preoccupations change. Third Man is a beautiful movie mm-hmm. uh, that I watched many, many times. It was the movie that. I, I, on one of our very first dates, I think I may have mentioned this last time, I said to my now wife, Catherine, I really want to show this movie to you. And uh, it's called The Third Man. And it was directed by Carol Reed, starring Joseph Cotton from Citizen Kane with an incredible star turn as Harry Lyme by Orson Welles himself. And she was like asleep before I even (laughs) finished. (laughs) And she to this day has never seen it. Like that was... Yeah, but she's digging in, right? No, I've stopped suggesting okay. that she see a movie. Because that sounds, that smacks to me of uh, a marriage thing. Like, nope, not going to watch it. No, I mean, she's extremely good taste in, in everything, but it's not necessarily my taste. And, uh, and you know, I think she would rather read a book than, like, watching a movie on a, on a in a movie theater is great for her. She loves that. Mm-hmm. But if there's any reason to be... You know, if you're at home and there's any reason to take your attention off the screen to say needlepoint, do a crossword puzzle, mm-hmm. grade a exam, fall asleep, mm-hmm. any of those options are preferable mm-hmm. to finishing this movie, pretty much. To Third Man or any movie at any, home? Pretty much any movie at home. Yeah. With maybe the exception of um, uh, Silence of the Lambs. Mm. One of, is her favorite one of, I would say her favorite movie, I guess, maybe. That's the all-time leading movie crush episode and downloads was the silence of the lamb show with uh with uh, karen and georgia from my favorite murder <laughs> i what? say that to make you feel bad what the hell <laughs> you're top five man what the hell you're top five i don't want to be hearing about your other girlfriends <laughs> what are you doing come on you're top five i don't even want to know where i am in the top five i know i'm not number one well, uh, doesn't matter. You you may be too, actually. I'm not here for I'm not here for the ranks. 
You may be too. It's either well, you or listen, Dax Shepard. <laughs> it's fine. Fair. <laughs> what was his what was his favorite movie? Uh Raising Arizona. <sighs> yeah, that was my favorite movie for a long time too. Yeah. Saw that at the Harvard movie theater. Uh it with uh Charles Diggs. Now yeah. had you seen Blood Simple or was that your intro to uh the Coen brothers? I definitely knew who they were and I knew that I knew they had made Blood Simple. Mm-hmm. Such that I was, I did not appreciate that this was going to be a straight up comedy. Mm-hmm. So I may have seen Blood Simple at that point. I was definitely pretentious enough in that part of my teenagerdom to have seen it. Mm-hmm. But I still don't remember. But I, you know, going into Raising Arizona, and I, and I remember coming in late because I was in the middle of that opening montage. Mm-hmm. Um, the longest pre opening. Yeah, it's like 15 title. minutes. Right, yeah. Uh-huh. And M. Emmett Walsh is. <laughs> telling Nicolas Cage some story about finding a guy's head on the side of the road or whatever. Yeah. And that that movie to- totally re- reshaped my brain. Yeah, me too. Um, in terms of storytelling, mm-hmm. what acting could be, what jokes are, mm-hmm. you know. I've jo- never seen anything like it. I think I had seen John Goodman in True Stories, mm-hmm. the David Byrne. I mean, that, that mm-hmm. was, that was, David Byrne's True Stories was the quintessence of pretension that I was aspiring to <laughs> at that, that bolo tie, yeah. bolo tie era for me. Uh-huh. And if, if it weren't a bolo tie, then uh, button up shirt buttoned all the way up, mm-hmm. David Lynch style. Yeah, yeah. That was who I was aiming for. John Goodman, of course, was the most soulful and only real character in that movie. Mm-hmm. And so I, I spotted him immediately in Raising Arizona. I'm like, that's my guy. I love him. Yeah. Love John Goodman ever since. And pound for pound, I mean, I mean, basically the best jokes that I've ever heard in a comedy. Yeah. In terms of talking. Mm-hmm. Do these balloons blow up into any funny shapes? Not unless round is funny. <laughs> what was on his jammies, sir? Yodas and shit. <laughs> no. I don't know. Yodas and shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yoda, no. Yodas and shit. I, I was obsessive just, about that movie. Of course. For many, many years. I laughed at that that balloon joke for f- fucking seven years straight. <laughs> right. But guess guess what? Now we speak about it reverentially. Yeah. But we don't laugh at it, right? Because it's part of our DNA. Yeah. And the same thing. It's like, uh, uh, what was the, my favorite movie again? Oh, yeah. Third, Third Man is part of my DNA. Mm-hmm. Raising Arizona is part of my DNA. And when you get to be our age, mm-hmm. which is extremely elderly. You know, there, there are moments where you feel re- like, I felt that I was still in my 20s into my mid-30s, mm-hmm. in late 30s, Same. even. And then something will happen that'll snap you out of that. You know, like, oh, I'm not that person at all. Mm-hmm. And those people who are in their 20s, they don't, they, they know. Well, that's what it, that's what does it. Yeah. Generally, for right. me, is like, I remember going back to Athens after being gone for many years, and I was like, what are all these... What's up, fellow kids? What What are all these kids doing here? Like, right. is there a high school tour? Right. A middle school tour? Right. And they were in college, and that's, right. that's when it was like, oh. For me, it was when Jonathan Colton, my best friend, I'm going to say period. Sorry, Chuck. That's right. You I'm, and Karen Kilgariff can go I'm not top be 10. number one together. <laughs> I've got other, I got other people in my life, too. But Jonathan Colton and I went to college uh, together, uh, very, very close friends. And Jonathan was a, a whiff and poof. Mm-hmm. 
which is a uh, very well-known within the world of collegiate a cappella, one of the premier collegiate a cappella groups. Mm-hmm. And it, this, was, uh, this was after college, obviously, their, the, the group's 100th anniversary was upon us. I'm thinking like 2010, maybe 29, 2009. Mm-hmm. And I was still very uh, moderately famous, mm-hmm. hot off the Apple ads and stuff. I had mm-hmm. a profile. Yeah. And so when they asked Jonathan Colton to come back and host this big concert for all living whiff and poofs, <laughs> <laughs> for all living whiff and poofs, and then they asked me to co-host it with him, uh-huh. and then they were going to make me an honorary whiff and poof. Whoa. An honorary very, poof? An honorary whiff. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it was very meaningful to me because I had spent a lot of time in college hanging around, like, outside of Jonathan's rehearsals going like, I wish I could wear a whiff and poof, but I don't feel like doing the work. Yeah. I don't feel like training and rehearsing and stuff. I uh-huh. want to be a part of Yale history. Cole Porter, founding member of the whiff and poof. Really? Maybe not a founding member, but he wrote the whiff and poof song. Uh-huh. Poof, 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 poof. No, no. <laughs> You know the Whiff and Poof song. Do I really? We are poor little lambs who have lost our way. Ba, ba, ba. No? No. Bing Crosby recorded it. We are little black sheep who have gone astray. Speaking of creeps. Ba, ba, ba. Gentlemen, songsters <laughs> offered us free. Damned from here to eternity. Lord, have mercy on such as we. Ba, ba, ba. I still get uh, the goosebumps. Yeah, and that's my. I'm not in very good voice right now. You can probably hear I'm coming off of cold. I could, I could, I could. Scratchy. It sounded good. It sounded like uh, you sound like Cheryl Crow. Yeah, right. <laughs> Famous whiff and poof, Tom Waits. So I, I always like. I loved. I, I loved all those weird traditions, mm-hmm. uh, especially at Yale, the secret societies and the clubs and the whatevers mm-hmm. and everything. But I also kind of found them distasteful because I was too cool for them. And right. And then also I kind of didn't want to do the work to get into them and make the meetings and stuff. So the most glorious thing about fame of, <laughs> was you suddenly you're invited to be parts of things and you don't have to do the work at all. Like yeah. not honorary. Honorary degrees. I've not gotten any honorary <laughs> degrees. But when they said, like, do you want to be an honorary whiff and poof? I'm like, since I've been 18, yes, yeah. of course. <laughs> like that's all I ever wanted. And I was, you know, I was 38 at that point, mm-hmm. probably 37, 38, depending on what year it was exactly. Um, and uh, uh, we went, but I still felt like, oh, I'm going home. Like, I'm the same guy. Mm-hmm. I'm the same guy. I went to college. It's great. I'm just a little old enough to be cool. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was old enough to be old. And I remember yeah. talking to Drew, who is now uh, Jonathan's partner in a business partner in his cruise. Mm-hmm. And Drew was, a, I think, a, a senior, a, a member of the Whiff and Poofs that year in the, in the senior class of Yale. And I was noticing that many of the Whiff and Poofs of that year were openly gay. Mm-hmm. Like, just, they had partners who were there. You know, you knew what was going on. Yeah. Where And it really made, sort of struck me that, you know, th- things have changed. Mm-hmm. You know, like, when I, when we were seniors in college, 1993, mm-hmm. there was one openly gay member of the Whiff and Poofs, but that was a big deal. And, and the rest were just toughs. 
Acapella Tufts. <laughs> Tufts is a very good acapella group, by the way, the Beelzebubs. That's, please don't make jokes. No, no, no. I was saying Tufts. Oh, oh, oh I Not thought... Tufts. Oh, gotcha. Sorry. <laughs> I have a good friend that works at Tufts, actually. Oh, all right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was like, this is, there, there were some closeted kids, but not, I mean, the point was that b- being gay was obviously a very open way of life in college life mm-hmm. now compared to sure. how, how loaded it was, Oh yeah, you know? And I was saying something along these lines to Drew and I'm um, like, it's just so amazing how, you know, the gay members of the group are so comfortable now. He's like. Eh, we don't really use labels. I'm like, okay, goodbye. <laughs> I was trying. Worst. I thought I was connecting, but yeah, obviously you're, I was just making. You're trying mm-hmm. to say some like nice thing. Yeah. And you still somehow get shamed. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> right. And then we went up on stage and all of the living whiff and poofs got up on stage and we were right in the middle. Wow. And it went from the current group to the to the oldest group. From the first whiff to the last poof. Yeah. <laughs> and, and here I was in this long, this long like timeline of mm-hmm. white male Caucasia, yeah, <laughs> with some exce- some exceptions, but you know, sure. Particularly once you get to the older, you know, end of the timeline, yeah, yeah. pretty pretty much white dudes, right? Mm-hmm. And I and, and I realized where I was on that timeline was mm-hmm. I was not with these young people; I was with these old people. Oh, and after <laughs> afterward, we all went. Uh, and and I was honorarily jumped in to the gang. Mm-hmm. I was given a tie. I drank everyone's saliva from a giant cup of champagne and liquor. Yeah. And I was like, this is the greatest night of my life. I'm an honorary Whiff and Poof finally. And one of the one of the dudes who was in the Whiff and Poofs of that day, that era, came up and said, hey, we're all going to go to a party now. You guys want to come? Like to me and Jonathan. There were a lot of old guys there. Mm-hmm. Me and Jonathan. We were getting the nod. It's okay. <laughs> Come to a college party. Yeah. And I, I, was still, I was still not cognizant. I was like, yeah, I want to go to this college party. Because there was still, I still hadn't figured out how creepy that would be for mm-hmm. me to, for a 38-year-old dude to show up at a college party. Right. But I still, because I was still part of me was going like, yeah, yeah, I still got it. Yeah, sure, I can do this. And he goes, oh, um, it's a naked party. And I'm like, oh. What? Right. Seriously? Yeah. No clothes at this party. That's right. Oh, Jesus. It's my worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th- there was nothing more, cla- like, I had an inkling of it on stage, knowing where I was in that timeline. Yeah. But there was nothing more clarifying than realizing there's no, <laughs> what's, like, it wasn't merely, like, I don't feel comfortable being naked. Yeah. I'm actually, I've come around the other way now. I No one cares, so no one's looking at me, so I don't care. That's true. But... It, it wasn't so much that I felt traditionally uncomfortable with uh-huh. being naked, which I certainly did. Yeah, yeah. But I was obviously had a very different uh, set of, I don't know how to put this. I obviously had a very different set of values mm-hmm. uh, than these guys did, which yeah. is like, how do you, how could you do that? What about your furniture? Aren't you going to mess up? <laughs> <laughs> practical concern yeah and i was like you know what thank you for letting us know that it's a naked party i can't we do not belong there i can't imagine anything more disgusting than your bare ass and testicles sitting on a beer spilled like pleather couch yeah (laughs) you know i'm with you that's gross 
but now I'm, and now I'm also it makes you think of a lot of different things though because first my first thought is oh my god you can't do that that's awful but then like no there's nothing wrong with nudity in the human form and that's such an American especially if you're 20 years old yeah <laughs> great especially like uh, I don't know it just makes me feel like an uptight American I think that there's something um, but it's also gross and weird <laughs> I think there's something grody about having all your junk hanging around, like, while while leaning against a counter getting ice or something. Well, I used to. But that could be a hang-up. But I also think that these kids have a very different relationship with nudity, and they also mm-hmm. take care of the, their bodies in a different way than, than we were trained to. <laughs> yeah. Gr- grooming, I'm speaking of. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Hey, I'm Joe Levy, and on the latest episode of Inside the Studio, I sat down with one of the all-time great singer-songwriters, James Taylor. We talked about his new album, where his music comes from, and how telling his life story through his songs has helped him. Music saved my life, but I was lucky also to survive. I did some very stupid, some some years that were, were just really high risk, unnecessarily so, and a lot of people around us died, you know. So join me, Joe Levy, editor-at-large at at Billboard, for this and other in-depth conversations with the biggest artists in music. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get podcasts. Avengers Infinity War. (laughs) Do you want to talk about it? We got about half an hour. I always want to talk about it. All right, let's talk because about it. Because so the point was when I said I didn't want to talk about the third man last time. It's like it's 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 I have two, I don't have a favorite movie. Right. And we go through phases in our life. Mm-hmm. And my criteria then was if I'm honest with myself, what movie do I want to watch mm-hmm. right now? Like what movie would I just put on or if it came on I would just watch it. Right. It's and not I the just, third man. And I it surprised me mm-hmm. as much as you or anyone, <laughs> that it was Marvel's The Avengers. I just found it so charming, so funny, such a such a break in terms of tone and voice from what blockbusters had become, mm-hmm. and a huge wish fulfillment for a comic nerd mm-hmm. to see that they were actually going to build this interconnected universe. And uh, and and now it has only become more interconnected and more mm-hmm. astonishing. Uh, and I think it's an incredible. I mean the. I was saying to uh, David Reese, yeah. uh, my my friend and uh, a partner on a project that we'll eventually announce. How's he doing? Good? He's doing great. Good. Um, it, guess what his favorite movie is not? Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's a different flavor. It's a kind of a, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is is a, sort of a different flavor the way Starbucks is its own flavor of mm-hmm. coffee. And there's certain... It's it's it, you can't even compare those movies to other movies because they have a sensibility and a style and a set of preconceptions, and you're either in it or you're not. Yeah, a lot of people are in it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. I I wouldn't hold them up. I mean, they're incredible works. All of them are incredible works of craft. Mm-hmm. They contain some incredibly. Uh, all of them contain really, really fine performances that directors allowed happen. Yeah. Um, visual visual moments of real ingenuity. Mm-hmm. 
And they have scripts that, while they generally don't, it's almost impossible to live up to in the third act in terms of plot. Yeah. And they got plot and they got holes. That's for sure. Yeah. But they got lines. Mm -hmm. And from a writerly point of view, I think I pointed out last time, like, I will never forget the way they slowly built up to how does Bruce Banner keep from getting angry. One of the great moments. And then when he turns and goes, the secret is, I'm always angry. It's one of the great lines. It really is. It really is. Yeah. Um, And he, well, and then in Infinity War, uh, one of the big plot points is Bruce Banner not being able to conjure Hulk. And no one knows why. Still. Right. That's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. (laughs) That they're they're paying that off in a completely different way. Yeah. And... Just from a, there from a, uh, again thinking of that comic book nerd, who was bobbing around in the ocean in Rhode Island with Tim McGonagall when we were thirteen years old, or eleven or twelve or whatever it was, visiting his mom and him in their they had a rental place down there in Little Compton, Rhode Island, just talking about who would we cast in an X Men movie. Mm-hmm. And knowing that it would never, ever happen. Yeah. You couldn't, you didn't have the technology to show these characters. Right. How are you going to make, uh, put Nightcrawler on screen and have it not be dumb, you know? Yeah. And, and obviously comics themselves were a, a marginal form. Mm-hmm. And plus, what would be the point of seeing one X-Men movie if you could not see the entire Dark Phoenix saga, the arc? Right. And then you couldn't see the X-Men meet the Avengers. Like, that was the... Beast mm-hmm. went from being an X-Man to an Avenger. Oh, and really? then to a Defender. See, I don't know any of this shit. Well, <clears throat> that's why I think on a certain level, these movies really speak to people who grew up with comics because the yeah. idea of telling... And this is what the comics were at the time. I think we talked about this last time. Like, that was Marvel's innovation as a comic book company was to... I mean, you had Superman and Wonder Woman and Batman meeting from time to time. But they didn't inhabit the sh- the same real world, mm-hmm. non-metropolis, non-Gotham world, mm-hmm. the way the Marvel heroes did. They didn't have mundane, you know, needs to, like, eat and make rent mm-hmm. the way Spider-Man did. Is that because Marvel's New York and it was actually a real place and not some yeah. fantasy city? Yeah, and it was a decision that they made to, to make this a grounded world right. where, you know, Spider-Man was... A, a superhero who had a ton of problems. Right. You know what I mean? And and had trouble making rent. You know, it was, and the Fantastic Four were scientists who made a lot of money on patents, I mm-hmm. guess, or I don't know. Right. Like, <laughs> and they all met each other and they all, and, and they shared, they shared a world and they shared a timeline. Yeah. Though within a certain span of comics from five to 10 years, you can keep pretty consistent and tell these stories that harken back to other stories and these interconnected stories. That was the innovation. And the fact that they are doing this on this mass, they're doing exactly that on this massive scale, telling yeah. telling a story mm-hmm. that started in 2012 or 20, 2012, I guess, with the event, Marvel's The Avengers, uh-huh. with the prequel, like the prologue of Iron Man mm-hmm. and Captain America and Thor, right? Oh, just setting, setting it all up. Setting it all up and then paying it off and then continuing with, you know, different people have different ideas of how successful these movies are artistically, mm-hmm. but then paying it all off, you know, with civil civil war and mm-hmm. then infinity war. We'll do a civil war show too. Well, that's also one that I would watch all the time. Yeah, we'll just cover all of them. You'll, you'll be my go-to. And so there's that. 
Mm -hmm. The other thing is that along the way, they did something that no one expected was even going to be in in culture. Mm -hmm. They made Black Panther. That was, yeah. And it's really, you know, hard to... When you get Jean Grey in here, you have to ask her about seeing Black Panther. Yeah. As as a native of Cape Town. Right. You know, yeah. seeing a seeing a superhero movie populated entirely by black actors playing Africans. Yeah. And a, creating a syncretic African culture mm-hmm. um that appreciates the the differentiation of of the microcultures of Africa. Yeah. M- not micro to diminish them, but to say the many cultures, the polycultural aspect of Africa. Uh, and to, uh, you know, uh, it, it's revolutionary. Yeah. You know? and, and it made a shit ton of money. And it was fucking awesome. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it was on top of all that. I could t- I could pick apart the third act a little bit, but. Yeah, but, but I mean, that's, you could say that for probably I didn't most like, of these. I didn't like that. I didn't like the T'Challa triumphed Mm -hmm. over Killmonger because he had a trickier kick Mm -hmm. on the, on the train track. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't basically just outfought him finally. Yeah. And I I, I, I get that. I feel like there, there was something there that could have been done that, that grew out of their, their two different characters Mm -hmm. that might've some, something about T'Challa's temperament that could have allowed him to triumph in the fight. Yeah. But also make a connection with, with Killmonger. Yeah. In a way that made Killmonger realize, oh, maybe, maybe you're the king. Or right. Or something right. like that. You know, I don't know. Sure. But There's that a, was the final piece, though, as a, st- a stage setting piece, pre, uh, I guess. Are you going to the back to Infinity War now? Well, but I mean, that was, it was great because they set the whole you know, final battle in Wakanda. Yeah. And you had just fallen in love with this place as an audience member. And five minutes later, you get to go back there. And five minutes later, exactly. It's incredible. Yeah. After you had just like, you know, I I love them all. I don't, like I said, I don't know any of the comics, but I I saw Doctor Strange, had no idea what to think of it. And I loved it. I thought it was great. A fun movie. Yeah. A totally different spin on all that stuff. And the, the beauty of Infinity War is finally getting all these people to interact. Like, we'd already enjoyed Avengers interacting, but now you have uh, Tony Stark trading uh, trading lines with uh, Star-Lord. Right. And Doctor Strange, and you can't help but be like a little kid in that theater of how awesome that is. It's... it's so am- much fun. It's amazing, but it's not purely fan service. Because it's it was not, in the comics, right? Well, I mean, that was part of the comics. But it's not just like now we get to see our friends talk to each other, right? It, it is paying off. And it's not just seeding in the Thanos thing. Mm-hmm. What you don't realize, and lots of people have talked about this, so I'm not claiming this is an original idea, but you don't realize until about halfway through mm-hmm. that seeing, seeing the heroes talk to each other mm-hmm. isn't the good part. In fact, they're not the heroes. This is a movie told entirely from Thanos's point of view. Mm-hmm. That is a movie about uh, how everyone thinks they're the hero of the story. No one thinks they're the villain, mm-hmm. even if they're the villain. <laughs> Do you yeah, because I mean? Thanos thought he was doing the right thing, right? Yeah. 
and which is an inc- incredible, you know, that was always not to, you know, back 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 in the. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. Important body of work called uh, Mac versus PC ads, <laughs> and and people are like, how do you feel playing the PC? Such a you know dumb dumb idiot. Like, how do you feel like being the bad guy? Right. I was like, well, he doesn't think he's the bad guy. Like, right. He thinks he's he thinks he's great, mm-hmm. and he thinks he's doing Justin Long's Mac a favor. Right. By helping this dumb kid become a grown up. Mm-hmm. You know, like. It's just his blind spot that he doesn't realize that he looks like a fool. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things that makes superhero movies so prone to mediocrity. And indeed, you know, horror movies or any movie where you have a big bad. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, they don't think they're bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what makes that moment in The Strangers so chilling. When the guy sits down, yeah, he goes, he's not a monster. He's not a monster. Right. He's not. He's not a creature. Yeah. He's a. He's a. He's a human being. And what brought him here? And why is he doing this? And does he ever think about stopping? And why doesn't he? Because right. that's a moment where he stops. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so when you get to the point in the movie that you realize, oh, this Thanos is the protagonist of this movie, whether you agree with him or not. Mm-hmm. It's structured that he is the protagonist. And all the heroes are the antagonists. Mm-hmm. It's, again, like, what, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, to create a dumb, dumb, tentpole, super-duper you know, machine, mm-hmm. you know, the theme park ride that so much of movie-making that is destined for cinemas around the world had become. Mm-hmm. And to to be that casually subversive. Yeah. To like, we're we're gonna make we're gonna make a movie that is an, an almost entirely black cast. We'll throw Martin Freeman in there to give the white dude some point of entry. Right. And we're gonna make a billion dollars doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, and and now we're gonna make a movie where the the villain not only thinks he's right, because all villains do. But there are times when you think he's right and you don't hate him and you believe him. And that's purely Josh Brolin. Like his performance in that is yeah. astonishing. Yeah. And, you know, I think last time we talked a little bit about how much more time do I have? We've got uh, 15. All right. Last time I talked about one of the things that was so weird about the Avengers is that these weren't their best characters. Right. That they had sold off, you know, to stay alive, Marvel had licensed. Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, and the X-Men. They're three biggest marquee names. If only, if they're only, the names that had the most resonance outside of comics. Yeah, because you were saying Iron Man was sort of a... Ninth rate. Yeah. At best. The Avengers was a, as a comic book, was a group of, like, also-rans. Mm-hmm. Like, they had Wonder Man. Is that why they put them together? Was the idea that, like, let's put five ninth rate... The, superheroes together, and that makes them a fourth rate. The if I remember correctly, the original uh, uh, impetus for the Avengers was the success of the Justice League, mm. and I think that that sparked the creation of the Fantastic Four because teams were in, mm-hmm. and of course Jack Kirby, as much if not more than Stan Lee, sort of twisted the idea of a team. Says it's not just a team; it's a family. Mm-hmm. You know. But the Avengers were much more of a Justice League type because they were kind of these random. They had these different characters that they had to play with and they just threw them together. Mm-hmm. So you know, the original Avengers were 
Iron Man, Thor, the Hulk, Ant-Man, and the Wasp. Okay. And they were all, I don't even think they had their own comics. They were all starring in, like, I think I, uh, uh, Journey into Mystery was the comic that Thor was the feature title in. Mm-hmm. And Tales to Astonish was the, the comic that Iron Man was featured in. And, like, so whether they were in, intrinsically popular characters... Mm-hmm. And therefore, they thought they could maximize their popularity, or they were all kind of middlingly popular, and they would throw them together. I don't know. Right. Go talk to Stanley. He's still around. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But those were the characters they had left over after Fox and Sony had made their their uh, uh, Marvel movies, and they had to they had to build them. They had to introduce people to Iron Man was. They didn't introduce people to Mm -hmm. who Thor was and who. And they're still figuring out who Thor is, uh, and Captain America, and everything else. Similarly, once they started thinking out, plotting out the big arc, they're like, "We don't have Doctor Doom because mm-hmm. he's Fantastic Four. We don't have Magneto; that's the X Men. We don't have any of the Spider Man villains that we can play with. Who do we have?" Mm-hmm. And they turned to this character, Thanos, uh, whose name is derived from Thanatos, the god of death, that opened this. This uh, uh, episode. Yeah. That's why uh, this uh, dictionary was provident. I know. Thanos, who is obsessed with death, indeed in, in love with death, the mm-hmm. personification of death, the goddess death in the comics, who seeks power in order to kill half the universe in order to impress death and marry her. Mm-hmm. That's the dumb, dumb thing that they have going on in the comics. I never liked it. But in the movie, it's to, in order to save the universe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They changed it, in my opinion, wisely. Uh-huh. Because Th- Thanos was almost a concurrent... No, I, I, no, I think historically a, a ripoff of a DC villain called Darkseid, mm-hmm. created by Jim Starlin, who worked in this whole pocket universe of Marvel Comics in the 70s, into the 80s, into the 90s, that I never had anything to do with, which was their cosmic heroes. So the original Guardians of the Galaxy, Adam Warlock, uh, Thanos, the Eternals... Well, not the Eternals so much, but um, uh, what are the the the, the Titans mm-hmm. that he's you know um, this the Celestials, all this cosmic stuff, mm-hmm. the Nova Corps, all that stuff belonged to a, a, a strain of Marvel comics comics that I never read because I was like, I, I'm I like the stuff that's at the X Mansion. That's like Hogwarts before Hogwarts. Yeah, you know, like I like the stuff where they're grounded, mm-hmm. literally grounded. And the space stuff always just felt ephemeral to me and weird. It was cosmic. It was kind of drug-addled. There were a lot of people going through psychological uh, psychedelic journeys into mm-hmm. other dimensions. There were a lot of people like Thanos and other people standing on rocks floating in space. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's <laughs> that's not how it works. <laughs> like having long conversations about the nature of the universe right. while standing on floating rocks in the middle of space. Are like, these comic book writers just like getting high? Is that where this is coming from? The, I don't know whether Jim Starlin was a big old dope, dope smoker or whatever, but there was definitely an entwining of late 60s, early 70s Marvel comics with psychedelic culture. That's what was happening in Doctor Strange. That's why Doctor Strange was the biggest comic on college campuses. Right. Because Ditko, Steve Ditko, the artist. Because he was, <laughs> Well, he was, create, he was creating all of these psychedelic dreamscapes in the comic. Yeah. And Doctor Strange himself was sort of like, you know, I get what you're saying. You're going to 
You're going to sit for a while next to this ancient brazier and mm-hmm. inhale some magic smoke? Yeah. I get it. <laughs> so I never cared about Thanos. I never knew who Thanos was when he turned around in Marvel's The Avengers, my my favorite movie until now. Mm-hmm. At the end, is like, uh, you know, to the, the, the his little helper goes, uh, the earthlings aren't as weak and puny as we thought. It, to to, uh, to f- battle with them would be to court death. And Thanos goes, <laughs> Was that one of the end credits? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. It was one of the end credit scenes. And they're like, Man, so they were setting this up the whole time, huh? Yeah, but they didn't know what they were going to do, right? Because that line, that jokey line, is like to fight with the humans is to court death. And that's what Thanos does in right. the comics. He courts death, right? So his knowing smile at the end is like dumb. And then they started bringing him in to the movies, particularly in Guardians of the Galaxy. They hired Josh Brolin to perform. And if you go and watch that that scene with Thanos and um, uh, Lee Pace as Ronan the Accuser, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of a pointless scene where it's just revealed that Thanos has hired Ronan the Accuser to get the Power Stone or whatever. And he's right. like, if you don't get it, boy, I will scatter the skyways with your blood or yeah. something like that. I was like, that's not that's not the Thanos who shows up in Infinity War mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Like, they're still figuring him out. Right. They're setting up that he's the adopted father or he has kidnapped both Nebula and uh, Gamora Mm -hmm. and setting that relationship up. But by the time they make Infinity War, shoot it, design it, Thanos looks different. He looks looks less menacing, looks more like Josh Brolin, handsome, thick. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there are a lot of people who are into Thanos physically. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And he's a handsome dude. Thanos is great. Yeah. Like, I love watching. It was the same thing as, like, I never thought in a million years that anyone could make me care about Captain America. It was just kind of the dumbest. Yeah. The dumbest do-goody concept. Mm -hmm. But Chris Evans made me care about Captain America. Well, the casting for all of these Marvel Avengers, I think, was the key. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. and uh, uh, the Hemsworth, uh, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Like, they've all taken it to places that I don't think they even knew. No, of course. You know, that that's another testament to the fact that they're making performers movies. Yeah. In a, in a, movies that rely on performances and real performances. Mm-hmm. So, spoiler, like, people have seen it, right? So, you know how it ends. Yeah, I did a review of it. So, it's, it's the ending. When Peter Parker, like, I, I, I may have actually cried in the movie theater. Yeah. When Peter Parker looks up at, at Tony Stark. Yeah. It's incredible. It's devastating. And of course, Spider-Man is coming back. I know. Like, everyone... It didn't matter, though. You're, no, you're it still doesn't so matter. in it. It was devastating. That final scene was devastating. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And, like, we all know that Spider-Man Far From Home is coming out next year or whatever. We mm-hmm. know they're not going to kill Black Panther. Of course not. Like, anyone who's ever read a comic book knows that people don't stay dead. Right. Do you know what I mean? That wasn't the point. Right. The point was they committed to this idea mm-hmm. and played it as though as real as possible. Yeah. And it was very affecting. Completely. And, and that's because the they allowed those actors to do I've heard that uh Peter Parker's lines are not scripted. I heard that too. That they were ad libbed, or at least part of them were like, I don't want to go. Right. Or whatever. Like That's tough shit. That's that's that really tough. Real. Yeah. And I don't know if you've seen um there's some person who is translating scenes from Infinity War to make them look like 1980s video games. Oh, wow. Like, 
<laughs> They're all amazing. blocky. I don't know whether it's 16-bit or 8-bit uh-huh. or whatever it is, but it's all like, uh, they make it all look like a side-scrolling video game. Yeah. And there's one sequence that this person has done where it's like from the moment of Thanos's arrival in Wakanda. Yeah. Where he needs only the time stone. Mm-hmm. And Vision is begging Wanda to kill him. And they run it all the way through to the end of the movie. <laughs> it's like, it is, obviously the visuals mm-hmm. are much more rudimentary. Yeah, yeah. But what it reminds you of is the the pace of the story. The music is all there. The color is all, like all the color design mm-hmm. is in place. So when Thanos snaps into the soul dimension and is walking around on water and it's orange and little Gamora is there going, did you do it? And he says, yes. What did it cost you? Everything. Good. Yeah. It's like. Yeah. So as rudimentary as the as the image had been rendered, mm-hmm. you know, people said, that's all CGI, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, no, it's pacing. Mm-hmm. It's music. It's costume design. It's color design. It's when the music drops out. It's the, yeah. you know, it's we don't even have dialogue. You know, it's just lines yeah. in that, in that uh, video game version of it. Because, you know, it's just like they do. um uh, what what do you call subtitles, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, in those video games, we're like, I'll get you. Right. <laughs> you should have aimed for the head. You know, like... It's all real drama, though. Like they, Thanos would have been stopped had it not been for Star-Lord and his being upset over the killing of... Uh, yeah. Was it Gamora? Yeah, Gamora. Yeah. I mean, and you, you get it. Like of in the theater, you you're like, no, man, they almost had him. Right. But, you can see the gauntlet coming off his hand. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, like, they they are, they're very, you know, I, I forget the names of the guys who wrote it because I'm mad I'm not them. Is it the Russos? No, the Russos directed it. Oh, okay. So the someone two else wrote it. Who, who wrote it. Yeah. And, they, and, you know, they and the Russos, I mean, obviously they took the handoff from Joss Whedon. Mm-hmm. Age of Ultron's a good movie. Everyone, a lot of people dislike it. I just went back and watched it again. It's got... No, we'll have given that episode two. Given that it has to <laughs> essentially be five movies mm-hmm. in order to get them to where they need to be in the in the in the story by mm-hmm. the end of it. Anyway. But um, you know, identifying that like, yeah, Gamora and Star Lord are boyfriend girlfriend mm-hmm. and he's gonna meet her dad. Mm-hmm. And that's gonna be awkward. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then when he finds out his dad killed his daughter, mm-hmm. that's gonna be he will you feel it. Yeah. Like of course you're like don't be dumb, but anyone would be incredibly dumb in that situation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you believe that he would do what he did. Yeah. So it's very, very smart script writing. Um, very, very, I mean, real, real characters, very smart characterization, playing off of all of those. It doesn't always pay off in every possible way, but it, all of it is believable. And the thing that really gets me, though, is going back and watching it again. There too, there's a lot of premeditated stuff. Sometimes it's a little bit on the nose. Sometimes it's less on the nose. Mm-hmm. Right? Loki says in the in the in the opening scene, it was mm-hmm. beautiful. Like in media race, just like yeah, shit's happened. Mm-hmm. We've lost. We open with losing. Yeah, and we end with losing. <laughs> like yeah, that's that's a pretty brave stance to take. I mean, we, we know they'll get around there. In the next one, supposedly. Right. But you kind of feel like we got to win something in this one, right? It's a movie. It was <laughs> like, a downer of a movie in yeah, a lot of ways. Like we, it, I haven't felt that way since the end of Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. 
Like, we got to win something. Yeah. Win nothing, right? And why should we? We're the bad guys from Thanos' point of view. Right. We're, we're, the, we're the obstacles. We're the, the antagonists, our guys. Mm-hmm. So the two echoes that made me just appreciate the craft that went into um, uh, structuring this screenplay was Loki saying, you'll never be a god, mm-hmm. right? And the last line in the movie is Steve Rogers realizing that Thanos has killed half the population of the universe and says, my god. But, yeah. You know, and then we see Thanos. Yeah. Cut immediately to Thanos. Yeah. What does that mean, right? And uh-huh. then, the, but the, the opening line of the movie is, I know what it is to fail. Mm-hmm. I know what it is to know that I am right mm-hmm. and to fail anyway. And obviously, that's exactly what happens to Tony Stark and everybody else. Like, And that's setting the, the, the terms of the debate, which is, you know, everyone who, everyone who takes action in life thinks they're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you think about how much of... Not to get political, but the Republican Party is evil, (laughs) but they're not evil. (laughs) There's a reason that Paul Ryan has sacrificed every principle that he ever stated, Mm -hmm. both with regard to personal integrity, to to the sanctity of the civic norms of our government, to even the fiscal responsibility that he claims to uphold. Mm -hmm. But he sacrificed all of that to support, to, to not get in the way of Donald Trump. And that is because an end justifies the means. I know I am right. Mm-hmm. When I break this government, if I'm Mitch McConnell or if I'm Paul Ryan, it's like, it, this government is bad. And my vision of government is good. And that means spending this government down into oblivion so that people can finally get off the government dole. I'm trying to inhabit their brains now. This isn't me. Yeah. But get off the government dole mm-hmm. and stand up for themselves and it'll be better for everybody. I know it. I know I'm right. Yeah. And this is my opportunity to do that. And even though I don't necessarily like who's in the president right now, uh-huh. and even though it's going to mean throwing my own daughter off a cliff, I will do it because I know I'm right. Yeah. I don't agree that they're right. Right. But it helped me to understand really how far people will go when they are convinced they are right. And the tell, many people have pointed out, and I think this is a reasonable, a real plot hole. It's like people are like, all right, you get this glove that allows you to do anything, right? And mm-hmm. you're upset because the population is outstripping resources in the universe. How about instead of having population, you double resources? Right. So why don't you snap the other finger? Yeah. You know, like that. And it's because. Thanos knew he was right when he was on Titan, and he was like, we have to, at that point, didn't have a magic glove. There's no way to double resources. His idea was half the population, fairly, Mm -hmm. just randomly, he was called insane, cast out, and they died, and he watched his civilization die. Mm -hmm. So now that he's got the power to do it, he's going to stick with his plan. Yeah. He He doesn't have the imagination to think beyond his plan because he has to justify that he was right all along. Yeah. You know, he lacks, that's the only thing that makes him a, a villain, which is that he lacks the imagination to see another way, right. to be flexible. Mm-hmm. In the same way, I would say 
Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan lack the imagination that like there's another way to, mm-hmm. to, to get where we need to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? That does not require the sacrifices that you're talking about. Because, of course, even then, Thanos, when he snaps his fingers, mm-hmm. there is a way to to get rid of half the population where no one ever remembers that it happened. Right. You know what I mean? He controls yeah. everything. So that's that's what comes for him as a reckoning in the in the next one, even though as a character, I, I, all I wanted to do was just see him on screen. Yeah. So there you go. That was great. Best movie since Marvel DC Avengers. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we'll have to finish up with uh, Infinity War Part 2. Avengers 4. <laughs> and uh, I assume uh, we'll still be friends in the future. So we will also get to Age of, uh, Age of Ultron and Civil War. As, as, well, you Why know, not, right? I think Over time? I think uh, Tony Stark and uh, Steve Rogers thought they would be friends forever. And then it didn't work out. That's a perfect way to end. Let's go get a drink. (laughs) Chuck, my name is John Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is available every Wednesday from Maximum Fun Network. That's at Uh MaximumFun.org, wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you listen to it. It's a lot of fun. It is. It's one of my favorite shows. Jesse Thorne and I listen to uh, disputes between real people who've got real disputes, including Mm -hmm. Chuck, you and your uh, your wife, Emily, came. Mm -hmm. You you wanted to do some home improvement in your house. Mm Mm-hmm. And I said, no, get a professional to do it. And that was my order. And you did it. And now you're tearing your whole house apart. That's right. You're throwing it all away. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And uh, my book, Vacation Land, True Stories from Painful Beaches, is available in paperback wherever books are sold. Chuck, you have something you want to plug? No. All right. (laughs) (laughs) You got any live appearances coming up? Uh, no, we got, uh, we got our, our, uh, Christmas show, which is sold out in Atlanta. Fantastic. Congratulations. And then next January, we'll do uh, Sketchfest again. See you there. And, uh, Seattle, Portland right before that. Oh yeah. When does this come out? Uh, in Soon. a couple of weeks. I got Sean Gunn next week and then you. Oh, Sean Gunn. Yeah. Oh, he's a nice guy. He seems like. He is. Have you met him before? Uh, at a wedding a few weeks ago. Yeah. And so I had him on. He partially lives in Atlanta. Tell all those guys, anyone who come from the MCU, tell them, tell them how I feel. Yeah, I will. I don't have to play Modoc. I can be anybody. <laughs> I can do anything for you. I really, I really, I love, I love the movies because I really feel like this is a, there, there are greater, I mean, there are other works of art. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and there are true, I mean, there's true cinema that's being made. Sure. But. You know, as a work of popular commercial art. Yeah, man. They're doing a lot more than they have to. Agreed. And it is, and some of it is remarkably beautiful. Agreed. Including Paul Bettany. What a beautiful looking man. Yeah. Floating around. Floating around. He's got that weird (laughs) Tintin quiff on his hair, a little hair tuft. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway. All right. Thanks, Good to see you, Chuck. Likewise. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. That was fun. Uh, I hope we continue this Avengers uh, motif with Hodgman and just keep making them. Although after uh, after we recorded, I think he I said, you know, let's keep doing this with the Avengers. We'll go back and do uh, Civil War and, uh, and and that other one too. And he was like, no, I don't want to do those. <laughs> I will only do that uh, the new Civil War movie. So. He's being very picky, everybody, but, you know, it's his guest appearance. He can choose to do what he wants. 
Uh, and that's fine with me because I always enjoy a good conversation with John, no matter what we're talking about. Hope you guys liked it. And I uh, hope you learned a thing or two about comic books and all those uh, myriad characters that Marvel's throwing our way. And uh, let's all maybe get on Twitter and, and petition the MCU to get John in one of these movies coming out soon. You know, it's his dream to play Mordok, uh, whatever that is. I don't even know who Mordok is, but um, he, has, he has a dream, and we could all help him out and get him on that silver screen, everyone. So thanks to John. Thanks to you for listening. And until next time, uh, why don't you go out and form a superhero team of your own, and maybe John and I will talk about it one day. Movie Crush is produced, engineered, edited, and soundtracked by Noel Brown and Ramsey Yunt at HowStuffWorks Studios, Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. I'm Richard Blaze, and I'm a chef and restaurateur who has judged or competed on nearly every cooking show. And now I've found a way to judge on a podcast. On my new podcast, Food Court with Richard Blaze, amazing guests bring their food arguments to my court, and I settle them once and for all. You think ranch is better than blue cheese? Prove it. You hate pineapple on pizza? Convince me. The first season of Food Court with Richard Blaze is up, and you can subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The only way is through. A new podcast in partnership with iHeartRadio and Under Armour. Players, coaches, and athletes will share intimate and personal stories of performing at the highest level. This season, Notre Dame women's basketball coach Muffin McGraw is battling a losing record. Every game knowing you're supposed to win, that really weighs heavy on your shoulders. And I think I said at one point, wouldn't it be great to be the underdog again? My husband said, be careful what you wish for. And here we are. Listen to The Only Way is Through, available now on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.